You're listening to Arrowhead Radio. Do my prejudices influence communication of the gospel? What is my position as a Christian on mission? Is Christianity compatible with other religious expression? Is evangelism simply white colonization? Do all expressions of faith lead to the same ultimate outcome? We can boldly face the relativism that is influencing missions and overtaking the clear message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Join us as we discuss complex issues facing the local church as it serves Christ in obedience to the Great Commission. This is Mission of the Nations with host Grant Fawcett. Welcome on this beautiful day to Mission of the Nations. Uh, I am your host, Grant Fawcett, and I have with me today... Dr. Uh. Meryl Gary Green. <laughs> Hello. I said your full moniker. Mm-hmm. PhD. It's Meryl Jr. actually. So. Meryl Jr. Gary. Yeah. Green. No, Meryl Gary Green Jr. PhD. PhD. Yeah, there's is, a lot of letters. If you do say that, it might sound like the PhD <laughs> is what's junior. <laughs> yeah. I've graduated from It's primary. a lesser doctorate. <laughs> our, our, our conversation today is going to actually surround sort of the idea of a PhD or the benefits or pitfalls depends where the conversation goes. <laughs> so many pitfalls. With respect to academic study and scripture and the constant and persistent um, conversation that seems to happen between folk in ministry with respect to the value or folly of academic study. Um, so that's sort of the, the direction we want to go. Uh, I think we're probably going to find something of a balance Mm. in the conversation, but, um, yeah, I, I was listening to a podcast actually yesterday and, uh, some of the things that were said on that sort of got me thinking, uh, we both went to Bible school. We did. And when I was in Bible school, um, the verse for the school, as with probably every evangelical mm-hmm. fundamental Bible school in North America, was Second Timothy 2.15. Study to show yourself approved unto God. A worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Mm. So, so that is an important scripture that I think... Maybe it loses some of its um, shine by the way it's used in in that context. But um, what do you think about it? Like, what what are your thoughts on on this idea of study? Because that's that's what the conversation is when it says study to show yourself approved. What is what is study? To what extent is study acceptable or or required? Mm. You know, do I have to be a doctor? <laughs> I hope not. Right. I hope that's not the case. Yeah. Well, it's funny because so many, you're right, so many Bible colleges and seminaries use that verse as their kind of go-to verse. But um, if you read any other translation, usually other than the King James, it doesn't actually say study. Um, the old English word study just means to do your best. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't mean like academic head knowledge or anything like that. It actually just means do your best to show yourself approved unto God. So no matter what you're doing, 
which includes actual academic study, that's what's going to show that you're approved unto God. Not the fact that you can repeat um, all the answers on a test or you can engage in the most like higher echelons of um, academia or theological discussion. Mm-hmm. Um, so I always thought it was kind of ironic <laughs> that that verse was always used mm-hmm. um, because if they had studied the passage, they would find that that's not what it actually means. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I looked it up this morning in the ESV and found the exact same thing mm-hmm. here that you're saying. And it is interesting that that's the reality, the <laughs> irony of that reality. Um, that this, the study of God's word and, and the engagement with understanding God's word might be the same thing, but they might not necessarily right. be the same thing. We're accused often, and, and I, I think that we're accused of this here at Arrowhead because we take an intentional approach to evangelism and we care very deeply for, you know, the meaning of God's word and that it's you know, there's an objectivity to the things that are said versus a subjectivity. Uh, we get accused of being, I don't know, too theological or too doctrinal. I mean, we don't teach theology and doctrine, right? We teach the gospel and we teach the nature and character of God, but we invest our own study and we encourage our volunteers to invest in the study of God's words so that we can understand it well, so we can explain it well. And I guess that's where I'm coming from. You know, when, when we, when we think about academics or looking at scripture academically, does it steal from the spiritual nature of God's word to (laughs) apply a number of strong hermeneutic principles to (laughs) study? Yeah. Or should all study simply be devotional? <laughs> you know? What does it mean to me? Yeah, that's the... Yeah. No, it's, it's funny because so many people are... I, I mean, I've been in circles where that was the case, where they thought academic integrity and, like, trying to figure out, you know, what is the historical context and cultural context of this passage was somehow taking away from their sort of mystical application of the verse for them. Um, and in my mind, I'm just like, well don't we want to know what God like said to the people he was speaking to? Mm-hmm. Like that's how we apply scripture. Um, and then there's other people on the other side of the spectrum I've talked to who um, it's all about figuring the ins and outs of the text with no application. So there's this, you know, contrast between the two and there's a happy medium somewhere in between there, mm-hmm. but it seems like few people ever get there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then there's the people who lean on tradition. Right. Mm -hmm. And the the idea of tradition then seems to somehow trump academic study. Well, this is the way our denomination or our particular local church has always taught and always (laughs) believed. And so people don't invest any sort of cranial Mm -hmm. moments into thinking about those traditions. And that, when I was thinking about that this morning, I was thinking about, it made me think of Colossians 2, 8, which says... See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to Mm. elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. And that might be, maybe that's not applying to these things, but I think it could. Oh, definitely. Our church has done it this way. Well, why do you believe in that particular doctrine? Well, my church teaches that. That, (laughs) To me, that, that suggests that there needs to be some personal academic study of God's word. Because if you don't understand why your t- church has that tradition, then 
you're believing something that is simply a philosophy of someone else. Yeah. Potentially. Yeah. Well, one of the things I've shared with lots of people, including you before, is that growing up in the church, I used to think that I was just very, very stupid because I would read a passage and then someone would tell me, well, the Bible says, you know, X. And I'd say, well, where does it say that? And then they would show me a passage and I'm going to read it. And then I would come away with it like, well, it doesn't say that. But they were told me, no, that's what it says and that's what it means. And it just was like, maybe I'm just too stupid to understand the Bible. But what they were doing was they were reading their traditions into the passage and then making it fit. And then when I didn't see it, they would get mad at me. And so traditions, like I, I mean, we all have traditions. We're all, you know, products of our environment and our theological upbringing. But often, a lot of the times, even in, you know, Bible colleges and seminaries, you're not being taught how to actually read the Bible. You're being how to fit interpretations into the Bible that, um, you know, that your teacher agrees with. Right. And so you're never given the tools and the, you know, hermeneutics, the, the, the systems by which we can actually interpret scripture to go any further. Mm-hmm. Well, and you and I had worked in the bookstore yesterday and we had a discussion about Bible translations briefly. <laughs> yes. You know, I think the, the Bible translation that you read or prefer can sometimes be a part of this sort of eisegesis, our own mm. make it, picking the one that fits with what we believe the most. I mean, we pulled out, what was it? An amplified Bible. <laughs> and you said something to the effect that this, this leads to eisegesis. It leads to us picking what we like and moving forward with that instead of doing the work of understanding what it actually, the words matter. Right. And, and we can't understand the words if we don't do the study. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to read a quote quickly. Did you want to add something before I do that? Sure. Well, I was just going to say, it's not, you know, it's not that I hate the Amplified Bible. Sorry, should I not um, have said no, that? No, no, you, did, you didn't actually say that I hated it. <laughs> okay. uh, it's more, it's more, you know, a lot of people, I think it is important to read multiple translations and try to get, you know, but a lot of times people use that as an excuse. Well, like, I don't like what the ESV says, so I'm going to take, you know, what the Passion Translation says and use that because I like it more. Right. And, you know, there's a reason why God gave us teachers and pastors and things in the church. It's because not everyone can be trained in these technical, like you're not, God's not expecting us all to know Greek, Hebrew, Aramaic, and all these different things, right? But he's expecting us, the people who are equipped that way to guide the church in a right direction. Mm. And when we look with disdain at those people in academia, I think that a lot of it could be self-serving because we're going to look for translations that accommodate our own theology rather than letting the text um, actually form our theology. Mm. Yeah, I think that's really good. I think that's true, right? Certainly, we all have the opportunity to go and study language if we want to. The information is out there. But but if we can trust and rely on those God has given us in the church as elders and teachers, then then that's good. But, but we still, I think, have to use our brains, mm-hmm. right, to discern what they're saying and, and, and read it for what it says. The podcast I was listening to yesterday was addressing the argument, well, that's not very spiritual, <laughs> right? It's not very spiritual to sim- to apply academic thinking to God's word. We need to just read it and trust that God's going to communicate to us through it, right? Mm-hmm. Like a, a contemplative, a solely contemplative approach to just reading God's word and, and just hoping that we will sort of by osmosis absorb what God wants us to have. <laughs> yeah. Right. So in addressing, because I, I mean, that's true. I've heard that argument, right? Made. I'm sure. You oh, have, yes. You yes. Have. Yeah. 
So this is, I'm just going to read, I, I, I typed out what um, the guy in the podcast had said, and I really liked it. And he said, if we believe that God has spoken, so he's talking about the word, but we believe man spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit, the greatest way for me or any other minister of the gospel to show respect for the word of God, and the only way for us to stand before the people of God and be able to say, Thus saith the Lord, is not to have a spiritual experience of contemplation. It is to do the work of accurately handling what God has given to us in his word. So that when I stand in the pulpit and open the word of God, and I use God-honoring hermeneutics that is seeking to understand the objective truth that is revealed in that word, then a person doing the same thing in a different language halfway around the world will be saying the same things. Hmm. And we are honoring God in his word by doing that. And that is a spiritual act of worship and service. It means studying lexicography. Hmm. Yes, it does. And that is a spiritual act of worshiping God. Yeah, I like that. Like, I, I thought that was a really, I mean, it applies to missions well. Mm-hmm. It applies to pastoral ministry well and Christian living. Like, it's true. Yeah. I think it's true. And I mean, as missionaries, I mean, we're missionaries. We work at Arrowhead. I feel like there's an incumbence upon me and you and Marcus to invest our mental capacity into studying God's word so that when we're communicating it, we're communicating it accurately in the same way it's communicated in our local church. Yeah. You know? Well, I just even think about like in the Old Testament, you know, God is assigning like priests and prophets to lead the people in Israel. And like, do you want to listen to the priest who can't study the Torah and actually figure out which sacrifice you're supposed to make? Or the prophet who doesn't know how to um, give you the message from God and like, uh, you know, give a quote from scripture or something, you know, like to me, it doesn't make any sense to want to engage with people in a ministry where there's a, a desire for esoteric knowledge over, you know, what is like very, very clear. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think what, what's subtly happening is that we're kind of distinguishing between like these two ways of knowing something because obviously we can know things with our mind and like God has given us all minds to different capacities to, to learn about him. But at the same time, we do believe that there are certain things that we just don't know cognitively, you know, cause like in first Corinthians two, Paul talks about how, you know, nobody knows the thoughts of a person except their own spirit. And no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Right. And the spirit of God makes known the things of God to our spirit and it's not that we necessarily, in, in the same way that, like, we don't understand that, you know, we're wretched sinners and we, we are in need of a savior, um, is the Holy Spirit that makes us known to that. So that's mm-hmm. not something that's in our brain. It's something that happens at a deeper level in our spirit. Right. Yeah. There's a balance mm-hmm. in there. Yeah. I think that that's really true because that's the counter of the argument, right? That it's, it's, it's gotta be this either, or it's either academics or it's spiritual, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? But I, I think that scripture makes it clear that it's both. Yeah. Right. And that we, ha- it's like anything in our spiritual life. Like we're, we're meant to do the work of sanctification, right? 
<laughs> you know, but we're supposed to work out our own salvation mm-hmm. with fear and trembling. So that doesn't mean that work saves us, but it means that we're meant to pursue righteousness and holiness. I mean, the commands of the New Testament are clear. So the work of sanctification requires input from us. Understanding God's word mm-hmm. requires input from us. So so what's the application of the balance in that? Yeah. Um, what I think is happening is a lot of people look at people in ministry and they see, you know, the people on the TVs or the people who, uh, like, big name with the large stadiums and stuff. And they don't like that a lot of times learning about God can just be boring. <laughs> like, I, like, I'm trying to be real. Like, it, it wasn't, like, I didn't find it super compelling to read, you know, all of the works of the um, Jewish historian Josephus. But I did it because I care about the New Testament. And I care about Jesus and knowing what his context was, you know, and I really didn't care, you know, trying to put in all the vowel points in the Dead Sea Scrolls and trying to like translate it because, you know, it wasn't fun, but I did it because I cared about, you know, what was life like during the time of Jesus and how can I understand his words better? But people don't like that. They don't like to hear that because it's really hard and takes a lot of work and is, you know, from most people's perspective really boring and it's not, it doesn't seem spiritual. Right. Right. But it is. And I like, and I'll, I'll, I'll out the podcast I was listening to. James White (laughs) has basically said, you know, it's a spiritual act of worship and service to do lexical study Mm. or lexicographical, I guess would be the word with it. Yeah. So, so that, that study is a function of worship. And we, we've gotten to the point, I think, in modern Christendom where we think worship is just the singing on Sunday yeah. morning. That <laughs> is the extent of worship. And we've forgotten reading a good theology, a well-written theological survey can be a function of worshiping God. On mm. Tuesday night, when I'm drinking a coffee and sitting in my lazy boy and reading a good book on the Trinity or whatever... Mm that that can be a function of worship because I'm pursuing a better understanding of the nature and character of God. Yeah. We dismiss that because we just want to, we like, I just want to evangelize, right? Yes. Praise God. We want to <laughs> tell people about who God is, but we have to understand who he is in order to communicate that. Right. Yeah. Well, I can, I compare it to a marriage in a certain sense, right? Because a lot of times you, know, you might not be um, interested firsthand of like what your spouse is interested in, Mm -hmm. but then you invest some time and really figure out like, oh, I didn't know that. Or I, and you learn more about them through that process. Yes. You know? Yeah. Are you suggesting Liz should be interested in stamp collecting? I am suggesting that. This is official. You should tell her that. (laughs) (laughs) She needs to become a quasi philatelist. Yeah. Oh dear. (laughs) We should have a little, uh, lexicon of big words from this podcast. Maybe. That'd be nice. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but I think it's true. I, I really think that that's true. And, and taking the application of that now, I mean, this applies to local church ministry. I think it applies to denominational ministry, but how does it apply in our parachurch? Mm-hmm. How are we applying that here in the face of criticisms? Like, well, you guys teach theology and doctrine to the kids. <laughs> well, I mean, we don't, I mean, we like to be theological and doctrinal Mm -hmm. and, and think about those important things, but, but how do we then apply 
that meshing of academic and spiritual approach to God's word. Yeah. Well, I think that, I mean, as a parachurch organization, our job is to equip the church. So if we're able to give them teaching that's biblical and foundational, you know, we hope that that can multiply Mm -hmm. and then we can create, um, you know, there's always the adage, like everyone is a theologian, Mm -hmm. um, which I always used to kind of not like, but now I'm, I'm recognizing, you know, it's just true to a certain extent. Mm -hmm. Not everyone might be as competent as it, but everyone has a theology, obviously. Right. Um, and so if we can, through, you know, we've invested time in academic training. Um, we're not expecting um, everyone to become, you know, Bible translators or anything like that. But we're expecting them to have an interest and a passion for how do we read the Bible for all it's worth? Mm-hmm. And how do we know that what we're reading is actually, you know, what God is saying and not what someone else is feeding me, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and I think that it's incumbent on us um, as a parachurch organization to really impress on people the importance for um, for that passion, but also for um, discipleship and actually continually training, you know, like I don't want just one people to come to one session mm-hmm. and then absorb it because we need to be constantly reminded of these things, mm-hmm. you know, um, the repetition is good. And so if we can have those hard conversations with people in ministry and say, you know, like it's important that people in your church know about these issues and how to talk about them intelligently, you know, I think that goes a long way mm-hmm. to show its value. And I think that if we can show them that it, it does apply to, you know, how you effectively share the gospel, especially, mm-hmm. I think that shows a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, I mean, you said I, I had like 8 million different thoughts as you were talking, <laughs> but I think the thing that I'm going to draw in on is the importance of understanding the nature and character of, of having good theology yourself so that you can share the gospel, mm. right? Because I don't convict and save anybody. Right. But I, I decide, like you said, you repeat it. You, you, that repetition, that constant, you go back. It's not just one encounter with someone. It's, it's hopefully, you know, many encounters that is called discipling or evangelizing. And it's not going to work if it's a gimmick. Like if the extent of my knowledge of sharing the gospel is simple, a simple gimmick, and all I know is to tell someone they need to repeat this prayer, but I don't have a comprehensive understanding of the nature and character of God, even a, even a sort of a cursory one that I can't answer the hard questions, right? Because that was my fear when I came into Bible school, you know, I would talk to someone and they'd say, well, you know, what about, like, I thought God was an eagle. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so what does the Bible say about that? What does the Bible say about who God is? And, and I need to do the work of studying what the Bible says about who God is so that I can, and I mean, this comes, I mean, we're talking a little bit about hermeneutics too, but the way that the church, and I don't want to criticize the local church, you know, in a specific way, but broadly many churches have, the way they've taught the Old Testament has not led to people having a full and rich view of the nature and character of God, Mm. right? You look at, you look at the Old Testament and it's all storybooks and heroes (laughs) and it's all, you try to be this hero, Johnny, Susie, you try to be this hero, you know, be like Esther, be like David, be like Jonah at the end of the story. Like, you know, instead of here is how God interacted with his broken people and 
here is how they repented and screwed up and repented and pursued him. And, and that reveals something about who God is. Mm. I mean, we know from the very beginning that we're messed up, that humanity is broken. Those stories in the old Testament are meant to reveal to us what God is like. And if we're, if we're looking at God's word and pursuing who he is and what he's like, then we'll be able to answer those questions when we're asked them. Exactly. Yeah, no, I was totally thinking, cause like, I mean, the biggest question that's always asked of Christians is if God is real, why is there suffering in the world? Mm-hmm. And if you don't have a relationship with God and know about his loving presence in your life and the hope that you have, based on the testimony of scripture and your own experience, how could you ever answer that person? Right. Right. And that speaks to both issues because on the one hand, you could talk about just what scripture says, you know, God is good and God is great. And thank you for this food. Amen. (laughs) (laughs) You know, but at the end of the day, that person, if they don't see God's, you know, love in your own life and him taking care of you in the midst of your suffering, then all that academic knowledge about what the Bible says doesn't really convince a person. Right. But on the other end of the spectrum, if all you talk about is your experience and you can't point to scripture, that's not good either. Right. Right. And so it's this marriage of the two that people just seem to like think are contradictory. Yeah. But they mesh together so well. Uh, Yeah. And so often I just run into someone on one side or the other. Yeah. And very seldom do you find someone who's... Spirit and truth. In the, in the middle there. Yeah. yeah. Spirit and truth. You know, that's, that's the call for worship. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's an important conversation. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there's a lot of things we could talk about. Um, is there anything more that we want to say about this before we finish up? <laughs> I mean, um, have, we, have we summarized our topic well? <laughs> uh, I, just a disclaimer, I think, you know, I think that a lot of um, people in the Evangel, you know, there was a book written called um, "The Scandal of the Evangelical Mind," okay. and the scandal was that you know that there isn't much of an evangelical mind, oh, interesting. <laughs> and that there was this hostility towards academia. I think that's slowly changing, but you know, I think that right now, especially in um, in various you know conservative circles, uh, people look at the university system and just see it as like this um, liberal wasteland, as mm-hmm. it were, um, which might be true to some extent, <laughs> yeah. um, but you know. Each student is an individual student Mm -hmm. and each graduate is an individual graduate that is focused on different things. And I think that lumping everyone into um, this monolith of, you know, they should know everything about X, Y, Z, um, that isn't helpful. Mm. Um, And, you know, the people in seminary, you know, if you've never gone to seminary or haven't gone to university, you know, you might not understand the structure of of how they've... um, of why they've chosen the path they have, why they've chosen to study the specific thing they have. And they're not experts in everything. Right. And so sometimes, you know, you know, academics are not perfect and they don't know everything and we need to have grace for them as well. And the same is true of the academics. The academics have to have grace for people who might not understand, like, what is the value of this, right? And it's about having grace with each other because we're a body, right? Yeah, and I guess that would lead to the last thing I want to say is that I I have the pleasure of having acquaintances and friends who seem to genuinely be able to sit and have theological discussions without leaving with hard feelings Hmm. and disagree and, and, and wrestle over 
deep and difficult things and not become enemies. And, and I feel like that's a grace of God that I have friends that, and acquaintances that we can have that together because that is, I believe a functional application of iron sharpening iron. Mm. You know, as we, it's like Paul Washer describes it, right? Like as we move towards Christ, we get closer together. Right. It's the process of sanctification and, and learning and growing. And I would challenge anybody, especially if you want to be involved in missions. I mean, this is called Mission of the Nations, this podcast. And if you want to be involved in missions, or if you want to support someone who's involved in missions, either through prayer or finances, I think you need to talk to them about these things. You know, how important is doctrine and theology to you? If they say it's not important, then don't be a part of what they're doing. Red flag, red flag. Yeah. (laughs) If there's a mission agency that's doing Bible translation, say, and they don't hold the intent of the word very highly. If say, if they're willing to change a sheep to a pig because the culture they're in doesn't have sheep, that's a red flag, mm-hmm. right? Because there's some, there's some real problems there. It, it's like James White said in his quote, like the same thing needs to be preached in every language and communicated the same truth. So those are things we need to ask ourselves. Do we surround ourselves with people who we can discuss hard things with and move towards God together in? Um, and are we connected with mission that is in strong and rich pursuit of the nature and character of God as he reveals himself in scripture? I think those are important things. Yeah. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And then asking the question, if those aren't the case, why? Yeah. And how can we address it? Yeah. And, and, and like you said, these things have to be addressed with grace and wisdom. But for ourselves here at Arrowhead Working, we are going to continue to strive to pursue truth and the nature and character of God and doctrine and theology. And we are going to teach the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ to people who don't know it, to people who who know it incorrectly. And if they reject it, we're going to teach it again, Mm. you know? So yeah, that's really, really important stuff. So thanks for talking about it with me Yeah, well, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's been a good good go. (laughs) This has been a broadcast of Arrowhead Radio, a ministry of Arrowhead Native Bible Center. Visit our website at arrowheadnbc.com for more information. Look for a new episode next week wherever you find your favorite podcasts.